0: Chapter 8 of Catherine von Bora, Dr. Martin Luther's Wife by Armin Stein, translated by E.A. Enlick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 8, A Sudden Resolve. New Year's Day of 1525 was a gloomy one, full of premonitions of coming evil. Even darker and heavier rose the storm clouds, which had been gathering since October. In Thuringia, in Franconia, in Suabia, disturbances had arisen among the oppressed peasantry, when Luther's Sermon on Christian Liberty fell like a spark among the explosive material, kindling a flame that startled the world. Luther, in whom the wretched peasants put their trust, had earnestly advocated their cause, and with a prophetic voice appealed to the consciences of the nobles, urging them to grant the just demands of the peasants, as set forth in their twelve articles. Peace would no doubt have speedily followed, had the knights consented to reason or mercy. But when they gave no heed to Luther's warning and stubbornly persisted in their cruel exactions, the storm burst. Like an avalanche, gathering strength at every step, the rebellion, beginning in the Black Forest, spread over Swabia, Thuringia, and Franconia. On all sides, castles and convents stood in flames, and the blood of the murdered ones cried aloud to heaven. Instigated by the prophets of Zwickau, the peasants were seized with a wild bestial frenzy, and a deadly terror paralyzed the hands of princes and nobles. Luther was deeply grieved. With his fearless heroism, he twice ventured among the raging mob, endeavoring to recall them to their senses. But for once his voice was powerless. With a heavy heart, he returned to Wittenberg, and with a heart still heavier, he wrote his pamphlet against the plundering and murderous peasants calling upon the princes to draw the sword in defense of their own. By degrees, they collected their forces and met the disorderly bands with experienced and disciplined troops. The insurgents succumbed, but, to his sorrow, Luther saw the victors wreaking unworthy vengeance upon all who wore the peasant's smock. The church bells throughout the land proclaimed the return of peace, and all hearts shared in the general thanksgiving. But Luther sat in his cell and mourned. He bowed his head, refusing food and drink, for every man's hand was against him. The papists showered curses and imprecations upon his head. Thou art the man whose blasphemous words concerning Christian liberty broke the fetters of the peasants and caused this bloodshed. The peasants, in their turn, cried out, Thou hast deceived our hopes, hast betrayed and forsaken us. His friends scarcely ventured to show themselves. And the gospel? Ah, it seemed as though all were at an end. That the measure of his misery might be full, the crushing news came from Torgau that the prince, whose wisdom and firmness had been a strong defense and support of the gospel, had, on the 5th of May, departed from this evil world. Was night again to cover the earth? After the morning star of the gospel had risen so brightly in the heavens, would God cast away his servant, his faithful servant, who, like a conquering hero, had begun his course so gloriously? In Wittenberg there was much anxious questioning where was Luther? His pulpit was silent. His chair at the university was empty. He was sitting alone in his cell, lost to outward affairs, and wholly absorbed in the inner world of thought and prayer. It was always thus on the eve of a great resolution. Thus he had sat and meditated when he was wrestling with the resolve in defiance of the Pope and the whole world to speak the truth and to begin the struggle with the superstitions of Rome. Does he utter Elijah's complaint It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life. Does he despair of himself and of his mission? No, but a fierce, heroic struggle is passing in his soul. At last he is able to pray, and the bruised spirit finds the open door from whence cometh its help. The heavy eyes flash with a new fire. The furrowed brow grows clear. His upturned face breathes a holy defiance. Suddenly he leaves his cell and repairs to the house of Lucas Cranach, one of his dearest friends. The artist was standing at his easel, engaged upon a portrait of Bugenhagen, the preacher of the town church. At Luther's entrance, he dropped his brush and received his friend with open arms. My Martin, thank God that I see you again. We were in sore trouble on your behalf. But what great thing has happened, Martin? Your face shines as it does when some great thought has taken possession of you. Luther met his friend's eyes with a solemn gaze. "'Send for Dr. Bugenhagen and for the lawyer, Dr. Appel. "'I desire to ask a friendly service of you three. "'Cranach sent a messenger to the two men who soon arrived "'and rejoiced no less than the painter at the sight of their friend. "'Luther began, "'My dear friends, a change has come over me "'which will cause you to marvel greatly. "'Not to keep you in suspense, I will tell you at once. "'Brother Martin has received the Lord's command to take himself a wife.' In mute surprise, all eyes were fixed upon Luther, who calmly continued. It is the Lord's doing, and little short of a miracle in my own eyes. Therefore, my heart consents willingly. The Lord's name be praised, cried Lucas Cronach, who was the first to recover from his astonishment. Brother Martin, this is indeed from God, and an answer to my secret prayers. But tell us whom among the daughters of the land have you chosen? Her name is Catherine von Bora, answered Luther. Again there was a silence. Then the three men, with one accord, hastened to their friend and warmly pressed his hands. "'This is also from God!' exclaimed Cronach, "'for among all the maidens of my acquaintance "'she is the most worthy.' Brugenhagen, in hearty, earnest words, expressed his pleasure at Luther's choice, while Cronach hurried from the room and soon returned with his wife. In Mistress Barbara's eyes, two great tears were glistening as she offered her hand to Luther. "'Blessings upon you, Reverend Doctor!' she said with a trembling voice and blessed is the maiden of your choice how i thank the dear lord who has thus shown you his mercy after the afflictions of these times ah doctor hitherto you have in high and noble words lauded the holy state of matrimony but you will find in this blessed condition more than words can tell a servant brought a flagon of wine and four silver cups on a golden salver "'Be seated, dear friends,' urged Cranach, while Mistress Barbara filled the cups with sparkling Spanish wine. "'Now tell us, Brother Martin,' said Cranach, rubbing his hands with glee, "'how did this change come to pass, for I no longer dared hope for such a resolution from you?' Luther took a draft of the wine and answered, "'Man proposes and God disposes, and when he drives the human heart, it is hard to kick against the pricks.' "'I considered three things— First, my enemies, who are waxing ever bolder and more malicious, and accuse me of driving others whither I myself fear to follow. Therefore, in defiance of the devil, the princes, and bishops, I will take a wife, thus testifying to the holiness of marriage, which they despise and reject. I will not delay, that I may still have time to enforce my doctrine by my own act. These times are evil, and my last hour may be near at hand, and I would that death should find me wedded. Then I considered my old father. I called to mind my grief when, as a disobedient son, I entered the monastery. I would fain repair my wrongdoing and say to him some day, in answer to his pleadings, See, dear father, Martin has a wife. Be at rest and rejoice with him. In the third place, I considered my friends whose courage is weak and who feared to marry while Luther remained single. Thus would I, by my own example, establish the doctrine I have preached. Dear Kate, exclaimed Mr Barbara with enthusiasm. Blessed art thou among women, the lines are fallen unto thee in pleasant places. Does she know what is in store for her? asked Dr. Appel. Luther replied, I have seen her more frequently of late, and I observed with pleasure how her inner worth, her housewifely virtues, and her noble mind were more and more clearly revealed to me. Yet I am not an ardent lover. I am past forty, and my heart beats calmly, although I love her well. Therefore she doubtless has no suspicion of my purpose but I trust that she will not refuse me her hand. I would request you, my friends, to accompany me that my betrothal, made before witnesses, may have force and validity in the world's eyes. "'This is a joyous errand. Few such have fallen to my lot,' said Crannock. "'But tell me, Martin, why will you carry out your purpose thus secretly?' Melanchthon, "'Do not speak to me of him,' interrupted Luther. "'He is of a timid nature.' He and others of my friends who fear that my work will fall to pieces if I take a wife, especially one who was once a nun. What is to be done must be done quickly, lest the devil cause confusion by the evil speaking of friends as well as foes. Dr. Appel seemed lost in thought. Suddenly he lifted his head and with an embarrassed smile turned to Luther. I rejoice at this with all my heart. But I have some misgiving, whether Catherine, with all the excellence of her heart and disposition, is suited to you and will continue to satisfy you. For I fear she has brought but little knowledge or learning with her from the convent. Forgive me for thus speaking my thought. Luther's eyes shone. My dear Appel, tell me, what is it that makes Melanchthon's wife so dear to him, and his house the abode of happiness? He did not seek after a learned wife, but looked to the heart alone. A learned woman is no better than a gadfly that glitters and yet stings. The woman who pleases her husband and makes marriage a paradise on earth is one with a gentle, God-fearing heart, loving and faithful, with a firm and skillful hand to govern her household. A grateful glance from Barbara's eyes thanked him for his words. Now let us go in God's name, said Crannock, reaching for his cloak and hat. They left the house, and Barbara silently made the sign of the Holy Cross after them. Mistress Rickenbach and Catherine von Bora were sitting together in the great hall preparing vegetables for the family dinner. Is it true? asked the latter, that the new elector has promised to give his earnest support to the gospel? Elsa assented. During the lifetime of his brother, of blessed memory, he frequently expressed his devotion to the gospel and has always shown much respect to Dr. Martin. Catherine's eyes flashed. Honor to whom honor is due the doctor is greater than any the emperor kings and princes must do him homage mistress elsa smiled at the enthusiasm which every mention of luther's name called forth in catherine and changed the conversation suddenly a loud knock was heard catherine hastened to the open door and luther chronick bugenhagen and Apel entered their greeting was so formal and solemn that catherine stepped aside in surprise They approached Mistress Elsa, whom the strange solemnity of their appearance had put in a flutter of embarrassment. Will you permit me, said Luther, in the presence of yourself and of these three honorable men to speak with Catherine von Bora upon a matter of great moment? Questioning with her eyes first Luther, then the others, who had remained in the background, Mistress Elsa, after a slight hesitation, called to Catherine, who approached with a feeling of uneasy apprehension. Dear Mistress Kate, Luther began, you know how great is my interest in your welfare and how I have endeavored to find for you a worthy husband, that as a wife you might fulfill your true vocation. But to this day my efforts have been unavailing, whereat I have been much troubled. But the proverb says, of all good things there are three. Therefore I again come to you in a matter of this nature and entreat you. Her hands were lifted with a gesture of dismay. Do not fear, dear Catherine, continued Luther in a gentle tone. Today I appear not for another, but since God has put it into my heart to delay no longer in enforcing my teaching by my example, and it has told me without questioning who was its choice, therefore I ask you, in the presence of God and these human witnesses, whether you will plight your troth to Dr. Martin Luther and be his wedded wife. A deep silence succeeded. The three men stood immovable. Mistress Elsa stared at the doctor with wide open eyes. And Catherine? Her frame trembled. She caught the arm of a chair for support. Her face was pale and her heart seemed to have stopped its beating. Suddenly she lifted her clasped hands and whispered in happy forgetfulness of her surroundings, Lord, my God, thou knowest that I would have esteemed it happiness to be his servant, and now I am held worthy to be his wife. "'Lord, thy mercy is very great.' From Mistress Elsa's side of the room, loud sobs were heard. Deeply moved, Luther took Catherine's hand. "'Then you will be mine until death?' "'Yes,' came the happy, trembling answer, her heart sending back the rosy color to her cheeks. Never in her life had she seemed so fair as in this moment of her supreme happiness. Then the great doctor sealed his betrothal with a kiss." Light streamed from the upper windows of Master Reichenbach's house on the evening of this eventful day. A festive company was gathered in the splendid apartments. Before an altar, bright with flowers and lights, knelt Dr. Martin Luther and Catherine von Bora, surrounded by their friends, who reverently, with folded hands, listened as Luther prayed, Dear Heavenly Father, who has vouchsafed to bestow upon me thy fatherly name and office, Grant me grace and blessing to rule and govern my wife and household in thy fear. Give unto me wisdom and strength, and unto them a willing heart and mind to follow and obey thy commandments through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen, responded the others, and Bugenhagen placed the rings on the hand of the betrothed pair, blessing their union in the name of the Holy Trinity. This was done on Tuesday after the Feast of the Holy Trinity, the 13th of June, 1525. End of chapter 8.